0: Welcome back to part two of Nothing Never Happens with the Cairo Center from Union Theological Seminary in New York City. I'd like to ask you for something concrete here in terms of when when you go into a a community, um, you know, what's your starting point? What are some concrete pedagogical strategies that you use to help the community uh, gather around um, the issue and bring their own knowledges and experiences um, to bear problem solving? uh, Popular education techniques, yeah.
1: Yeah, I can I can uh, give a few. Do you want yeah, to start? Uh, go, no, go yeah. ahead. Go
2: ahead,
1: Willie. Well, I, I can I can uh, Tina. I can give you an example that that's mm-hmm. really that's shaped our approach to to mass education or property education, yeah. and particularly to organizing. When we organized the homeless union, we would go into different cities and connect up with homeless leaders that began to distinguish themselves as leaders and mm-hmm. really was interested in uh, in the organizing drive. But the problem was where we start. Where do we start the education? Where do we start yeah. the organizing? And every city where we start was different. What mm-hmm. we learned is that there's a distinction between problems, many problems that beset uh, a certain section of the population that we're going to organize, and and th- and problems that are issues. Like, for example, in Chicago, we was mm-hmm. able to bring together representatives for all the shelters, and also uh, teachers mm-hmm. and 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 shelter providers and people that were well-meaning, we brought them in a room to discuss what are the problems uh, that we need to address in this organizing drive
3: Mm -hmm. that we
1: were launching uh, in Chicago at that particular time. And so as we went back and forth in terms of what are the problems that that people felt we need to start with, uh, the uh, Coalition for the Homeless, which was people who are not homeless but they were working on the homeless and housing Mm -hmm. problems, they at that time was conducting a lobbying campaign in springfield uh illinois at the state legislature on housing so they proposed mm-hmm. that you know obviously the problems of homelessness is connected to housing and that maybe they had buses and all kinds of things that they could uh take homeless the folks in the various shelters and where we had homeless folks mm-hmm. at, and take them down through with the buses to help give strength to the lobbying process and the state legislature so mm-hmm. we heard that proposal and we heard other proposals and suggestions that stood the problems, but what we found out in the final analysis that was that the problem that was an issue was mm-hmm. the fact that every morning between the hours of 5 a.m. to 6 a.m., people had to get up in the shelters, line mm-hmm. up all the shelters around mm-hmm. Chicago, line up to get five sheets of toilet paper. Yeah, that mm-hmm. they knew that it, being in that situation was because they was in a shelter. They knew that it was in shelter because of the job situation and the economic situation. And so all the problems connected to those things were definitely of, 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 of concern. But mm-hmm. what was immediately of concern, what was most agitational, was the fact that they had to suffer the human indignities, mm-hmm. indignities of getting in line and get five sheets of toilet paper. Yeah. That's where we had to start. That's where we had to start. We call that Mohammed has to go to the mountain mm-hmm. because the mountain never comes to Mohammed. So Mohammed the mountain of the people. And the only way you can tell what, where to start with your educational process, where to start with your overall organizing approach, has to be where the people are at. You've got got to go to the mountain and to engage the people to find out what problems are issues versus problems that are not issues at the moment. Mm-hmm. You don't stop there, but that's where you start. And so I, our approach to mass education and popular education – is one that's that that is this that's connected to this principle that Mohammed mm-hmm. has to go to the mountain and that the mountain because the mountain never comes to Mohammed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Okay, Colleen, do you have an a concrete example from your work um, with communities? Yeah.
2: I I guess my example is in some ways around you know my experiences of doing in some ways congregational organizing and meeting with mm-hmm. meeting with congregations and, and groups in, in churches and I find that one of the things that's been most effective is to is to have people we call it poverty mapping and people mm-hmm. draw on a paper their their life experiences that have shaped what it is how it is that they understand poverty. What is poverty and so it, you know it's both this opportunity to to think yourself it is, it's also you know these are the kinds of conversations that that we don't often talk about there's a lot of um yeah. there's both a lot of shame around money and um and mm-hmm. just sort of this culture where we don't we don't talk about it and so that's getting right. people to share with to share with each other you know people that we've known for a long time grew, mm-hmm. you know we sort of assume how they grew up um and and that's not always mm-hmm. true and then and then this is true and also in terms of thinking about the ways that we're taught to believe, and then and then mm. the experiences, how how those experiences um, can confirm those those stereotypes, even if even if that experience, uh, even if if that's just an interpretation of that experience, and that there's actually different ways of understanding uh, those experiences. And then the thing that I think goes with those poverty maps is that we use um, we call it a poverty fact sheet, and it's sort of a short yeah. page that looks. Um, Looks at not just poverty but also at wealth, uh-huh. uh, and that you can't understand poverty apart from the existence and concentration of wealth. That there is, in fact, abundance, and that our the idea that there's not enough uh, is is an idea that's kept, uh, you know created for a reason. Uh, and then it and it looks at the the relationship of poverty to race and gender, uh-huh. uh, nationality, sexuality. And, and then brings out just some of the, you know, the contradictions of the the rate of homelessness and look at that next to the mm-hmm. rate of vacancy, that there's actually more, <laughs> many times more vacant homes than there are people without homes uh, and looks at some of those things next to each other. And so having yeah. both, you know, it's both our experiences and people reflecting on what, what we know and how we came to know it, but then putting that next to, you know, that sometimes our, our experiences are, we, we interpret our experiences in a way that we're taught to interpret them. And so are there, are there other ways of going back and looking at, um, mm-hmm. you know, looking at those moments in the, in a context with, with new information and, and how does that change how we think about things? And so those are some of the tools we use, uh, yeah. you know, some of the first tools that we use in our, our education
3: work.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, since popular education is based on everyone as um, teacher and everyone as learner, have there been any particular moments in the past or more recently for uh, both of you uh, that have been particularly transformative where you were sort of stopped in your tracks or learned something completely new from, um, from a group?
1: Uh, I, I I think, again, this connection between your life experiences and, and your mm-hmm. your studies and reflection on it is, I, I've learned over the years is key to the educational process. If you disconnect the two,
3: mm-hmm. then
1: you're, you're, you're not really talking about forming values and belief system as well as intellectual understanding of what you're dealing with. Yeah. And so I, I can point to in history the tremendous educational and ideological impact of the underground railroad, mm-hmm. uh, of uh, uh, in the struggle against slavery, with the slavery slaves rebelling in the form of running away, uh, it began to challenge the prevailing notion of what slavery was, and and also concepts of the slaves as being chattel. When you had mm-hmm. families and babies running away, and that was a constant stream of activities in that regard that people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I said traversing just. Uh, uh, really uh, difficult situations those those that movement that actual people having to be exposed to that that whole struggle began to force people to begin to rethink what slavery was Mm -hmm. and slavery was ended first by ending it in people's minds before it was ended in fact you know and so in uh uh, the, uh, the Watts Uprising, like I was mentioning early, for me, mm-hmm. was a tremendous shaping thing. So this relationship yeah. between reflection and experience becomes important. So the Watts Uprising. And just recently, we've been uh, talking to some brothers and sisters, mainly sisters, dynamic sisters, who mm-hmm. were involved with the teacher strike here in West Virginia. Yeah. This, this experience here is not something insignificant. And people who, whether they were conservative or where they are coming from, have mm-hmm. been radically awakened by this experience of, you know, the role of unions, the role of the economy, you know, the relationship of, of the teachers' uh, living uh, life situation and livelihood with that of people who are on Medicaid and mm-hmm. how these things are tend to be put against each other. Uh, why are they being put? And whose interest is it being put uh, yeah. in, in contradiction? And these kinds of lessons were... Where the the protest itself and the and the struggle itself becomes a school, you know, uh, and that the you know that the classroom is connected to the struggles that of uh, classes in reality is 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 becomes a, the, the approach to to training and education, and and so therefore I think uh, 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 the experiences that that uh, that we've been uh, 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 discussing here with these these dynamite leaders about what change has come upon them uh, in the process of school, mm-hmm. uh, the process of this teacher strike is very important. The other thing is that the, the, the fact is that uh, that West Virginia was one of the main states that voted Trump, and they, they, they were one of the strongholds of the Democratic Party, and now they've been republicanized. And yet, yeah. you had this tremendous strike that took place, and people mm. that from the outside couldn't really understand it. But when you discuss it, you, you can you can see that some of these leaders they come from generations of struggles, starting back mm. with the coal struggles in in, in Maitwan and and the Mingo County, and some of these out these mine wars that took place, and their their parents were. Uh, strikers in, in, in some of these uh, mine mm-hmm. strikes that have taken place and so on. And so all of that was conjured back up in the course of the struggle. Ah. And so to know, to say, well, is this Trump country or what? I mean, mm-hmm. what are we dealing with? I mean, you know, the idea of Trump comes to in a very conservative, republicanized kind of situation. So reflecting on the teacher strike, these kinds of questions came up uh, mm-hmm. that was not just... It was a high level. It was a high level analytical level of discussion in terms of why the teacher strike, what, what the significance of it, what it says about these times, this Carol's moment that we've been talking about. What mm-hmm. about these kids who are moving in relationship to the killing of the kids uh, uh, in yeah. Florida yeah. this spontaneous outbreak? You can see people going through changes. It's, it's mm-hmm. the educational impact is there. So any notion of popular education has to see the relationship. Of the classroom to life experiences and the struggles that are happening uh, outside the classroom. And how you connect those things becomes the educational process, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of what's, what stays with people, what shapes people into people who are committed to solving basic complex problems that beset, beset our society today.
0: Yeah, and that's sounding really hopeful. So, is that is that where you yes. find hope in the, in these rather oh, man, I, trying I, times? You
1: know, I mean, I'm talking to these young, newly emerging leaders, religious leaders as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of these teachers are, I, uh, the pastors of churches. Uh, they, uh, the attitude they took towards the children during the strike, uh, which is was totally contrary to what the media has portrayed the whole developments of the strike. Uh, yeah. It was really encouraging, really reinforcing, and and these are unsung saints. It's just, they're not on TV, but they're
3: people mm-hmm. who are,
1: are, are leaders uh, 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 that are beginning to emerge in this period of real crises uh, of the global economy, as well as, of course, uh, which include the domestic situation here in this country. Yeah. So anyway, yes, it was very reinforcing, and that's part of the educational process where you are incentivizing People learning and asking questions and uh, and getting an understanding of what the problem is, so they can ascribe to that problem, uh, prescribe mm-hmm. to it a, a solution that actually reflects what the, the problem is.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, what um, what experiences have you had recently confronting uh, the power base? Um, at, at various moments, and it, and that can include the power base in religious organizations, um, because not uh, not every religious leader or believer is on board with some of these things you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I was telling one of my colleagues in the in the living wage campaign here, uh, custodian in this building I'm in right now, um, uh, if we could get. You know, if, if only the Christians on this campus would step up, then we'd have a living wage. but we they don't <laughs> so for the most part. So how do you uh, begin to reach those hearts and minds? Um, you know that uh, as um, you and Liz say in your article that you know poverty is a systemic sin. Uh, so, how do you begin to um you know disrupt that complacency
1: uh claudine you want to start or
0: <laughs> not an easy question i know no it's, it's, it's not an yeah. easy
1: question <laughs> but it is the it is, it is question <laughs> yeah
0: mm-hmm. yeah and i'm also thinking um and i don't know that much about the current but only know it like third hand, uh, Union Theological Seminary. And I don't know the relationship of the Cairo Center and the Poverty Initiative to the seminary. Um, But it it seems with the selling off of things, buildings and airspace Mm -hmm. and (laughs) the things that some of us hear um, through the rumor mill and fact mill, Mm -hmm. uh, that um, there's a, there's like a. Like several consciousnesses at work, you know the the thing that keeps institutions alive and and thriving and go, growing and in the news and et cetera. And then the and you know with the foundations and all of that, and then the work you're doing on the ground. Um, right, how, right. What's the What's the connect there? I guess I'm asking, and you know, you're not yeah. the only seminary dealing with this, but you are uh, the only one with, you know, a major, I guess, uh, institute center that is that is doing this kind of uh, transformative work.
1: Yeah, yeah. All um, right. Uh, Colleen, I mean, I could try to take a stab at it. I mean, I think but <laughs> yeah, what, hap- what is happening, I mean, first of all, I mean, our relationship to Union Theological Seminary has to do with the kind of history that mm-hmm. that Colleen referred to. We come out yeah. of the homeless union,
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh, you know, uh, homeless union move, uh, struggle out of the welfare rights uh, struggles, the unemployed housing struggles and stuff mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. and this notion of the least of these has been at the base of our theology, mm-hmm. been, uh, uh, and, and starting with the least, the least of these. The Poor People's Campaign mm-hmm. is about that,
3: you yeah. know.
1: And, and that theology is, is what we're trying to bring out and what that means. And mm-hmm. the least of these is about all of these. We're all God's children. So yeah. the, the, the predicament of the poor is not about a charity case or a criminal,
3: criminal mm-hmm. case.
1: It's about the direction of this country. And if you're going to turn the direction of a country that has produced so much where you don't have to have poverty or homelessness or people go without, you have a productive capacity to produce the basement for everybody. It don't have to be negotiable. Mm-hmm. And yet the way the society is organized is organized in such a way that in the midst of plenty, you got poverty. In mm-hmm. the midst of abundance, you got abandonment. And that's growing with our children and so on and so forth. So... The problems of the poor is a problem of the society. So the poor people's campaign uh, is is proving to be an idea. We, we are the responses that we're getting all over the country, uh, it's proving to be an idea whose time has come. Okay. And the notion of the poor is 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 the notion of starting with the least of these. Mm-hmm. And and the theological implication of that is great, especially when you have mm-hmm. a demographic that has evolved over history where the highest Areas of the country, you know, like in the South, or any of the other areas of, of where you have poverty, the, the areas of the country where you have the most poverty, you have the most churches.
3: Mm, you know, mm. the,
1: the Bible Belt is a stride. The Bible Belt in yeah. the South is a stride. The poverty belt, which comes out of a long history, and so the theology uh-huh. that justified that kind of connection has to be challenged by. This kind of uh, this poor people's campaign, and the, mm-hmm. the starting point of the starting the starting point of a poor people's campaign is starting with those who hurt, and and the the starting with those who hurt requires three approaches:
3: mm-hmm. one,
1: organize; two, organize; three, mm-hmm. organize. You know, once you begin to move that section. Then all the stereotypes about they are the problems and not the way the society and the priorities of society is organized. Mm-hmm. That's not the problem. The problem is that they are failing society, not that society is failing them. When you move the people who are actually hurting right now and they begin to tell their stories that they were once middle class, that they mm-hmm. had jobs, that they had, they are not the stereotypical misconceptions that we're being bombarded with in the media and the movies and so on and so forth. But when you move the uh, the, the least of these and, and build relationship with all sectors of society and, and that connection, you're talking about beginning to uh, uh, force and compel people to begin to question the old misconceptions and so on. This is pretty much similar to the, the Im- impact, the ideological and educational impact of the Underground Railroad, mm-hmm. when the slaves start moving, you have to rethink what is slavery. When the slave slaves yeah. start running away, you have to restate, rethink who the slaves are and why are they slaves. And mm-hmm. this is the effect I think that the Underground, uh, that the uh, Poor People's Campaign is going to have, and it's very critical to popular education because once you move that section of the population. Uh, people have to think about it just like when the women's the struggle for women suffers if the women yeah. didn't organize and start moving people would continue to think that the problem was that the women should stay in the on the in the bed or in the kitchen and so on and so forth mm-hmm. But when the women still start moving every all these old all these concepts that was that stood on the, the misconception of the role of women were all stood on their head and people yeah. had to begin to question it so popular education has to begin with you know the organization of those who are most affected. It has to start mm-hmm. with the, the theology. Uh, yeah. The uh, the uh, the least of these, which is the the problem, which is tied to this problem of what theology are we talking about? You
2: know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I want to. I actually have something to add there. I just I want to talk a little bit about um a his, the the history of the the 1968 Poor People's Campaign. Yes, and I think that that's yeah. a, a lesson there. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that speaks to this. I mean, I, I think that, you know, talking about today and even mm-hmm. even more so, to, I mean, also at the time, but even more so today, we, I think this question of, you know, the, the way that we're all funded, like where funding mm-hmm. comes for doing organizing work and where mm-hmm. funding comes for justice work and, like, how we're, how we're able to do that work uh, is, is just such a huge part of keeping us divided from each other. And yeah. it's just a very effective strategy um, mm. for having us stay apart from each other. We have to sort of stay in our own lanes, and that if there's other people who are interested in similar things, they're actually competition rather mm. than than there being you know a, a, you know more movement around a, an issue. Mm-hmm. And so, and then we're also taught that these issues are separate from each other, yeah. not just in a competitive way, but that mm-hmm. you know to you know if you can make a a better argument for, you know, that your problem is solvable uh, if you just get the right amount of funding, you know, right. it sort of encourage us to, encourages uh-huh. us to define our problems apart from each other. Uh-huh. And I think that the the original campaign was, was similarly trying to bring people together across lines of division. And there was actually this really, I think, historic moment in Atlanta that was 50 years ago yesterday where people uh-huh. came together – uh, they were at Pascal's uh, oh, uh, yeah. hotel.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Was where they met, right? Because it was That's it was fun. the, the black owned hotel and conference center. Yeah. it was where they could have an integrated meeting, uh, and I bet the food was very good. But they, you know, so they got there <laughs> for the, they had this conference where they were going to uh, organize the poor people's campaign. And I think it was a it was an unprecedented gathering of people from mm-hmm. it was welfare people from welfare rights. It was leaders from the native communities. It was there were migrant and agricultural labor there,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, Ch- Chicano uh, organizers and leaders, Puerto Rican, mm. poor whites from Appalachia, poor whites from the north. Uh, sort of the you know the civil rights organizations were there. There were even a couple of unions there. Anti-war was there. Uh, yeah. Miles Horton. Miles Horton was there mm. from the Highlander Center. Um, mm-hmm. Carl, Carl Braden was there yeah I mean it was just uh, just an unprecedented gathering that's really been ignored uh, and hasn't been lifted up and what uh, King when King was with them you know what King said when he was with them he says that we've we've assembled here today with common problems bringing together ethnic groups that may have not been together in this type of meeting in the past And he says you know I've never been in a meeting like this. Uh, but it's been one of my dreams that we'd come together and mm-hmm. realize our common problems. Power for poor people will really mean having the ability, the togetherness, the assertiveness, and the aggressiveness mm. to make the power structure of this nation say yes when they may be desirous to say no.
3: Mm-hmm. So this
2: was March, March 14th,
3: 1968
2: in Atlanta. Mm. And uh, Miles Horton wrote a letter actually – Mm. talking about the significance of this moment. And he said that, that he agreed that this was a an unprecedented moment and the making of a real ground-up coalition that was going to be radically different. Yeah. So the, one of the things that's interesting about this letter is that he didn't get it mailed. King wow. was killed so soon after this meeting oh, yeah. that Miles Horton had to put a note at the bottom of his letter. Mm. He was writing to... Um, he was sending a letter to uh uh to Andy Young and um to the uh united farm workers mm-hmm. and uh he had to put a note at the bottom when king was killed 3 weeks later saying i didn't get you know i wrote this but didn't get it in the mail and king has been killed um mm-hmm. that's how soon after mm. bringing together this 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 Consolation of people who had not been together before mm-hmm. uh, that King was assassinated. And so it was still very much this, it was this group of people that pulled off the poor people's campaign, but they, you know, they weren't able to uh, organize together in the way that I think they really had wanted to. Yeah. Uh, they were just sort of so thrown off, but there was this real potential and they had plans for uh, in Resurrection City. So in the encampment, in mm-hmm. Washington, D.C., they were going to have a poor people's university.
3: Mm-hmm. So the
2: idea was that not only would people be, you know, during the day in marches and going to testify in, you know, subcommittees and things like that, but they would be learning together and they would be studying together. And uh, yeah. popular education was going to be it, – it fell short of the plan, but that was a big plan for what was, what was supposed to happen.
0: hmm Yeah. So
3: the
0: past is, yeah, oh, the past pushes us forward because we have to look back, we have to know our history to know how to to
1: move. That's that's such a key point, Gina. I mean, what we've found over the years is that our U.S. education system has left Mm -hmm. us really ignorant of history Mm -hmm. and of the economy. And if you're gonna do any kind of educational process in connection with these bigger problems, yeah. You've got to have that in your, your studies, and I think the organizing element to it, the, the practice element of it, is key too. Because in if you any study of the position of the poor and dispossessed in this country, the least of these uh, would show you that their social position combines the problems of war and peace. Yeah, you know the problems of the, they have the worst or they get the worse off with these uh-huh. these environmental crises. Uh, poverty and race relations, all these issues, gender relationships are all uh, embodied in the position of the poor. So uniting the poor
3: mm-hmm. unites
1: those issues because the separation of those issues prevent each of them, the solution to each one. And so the, yeah. the educational impact of the poor being united is tremendous because it, it forces people to have to deal with these issues as inseparable because in the life of a poor person, you can't separate those things.
3: You can't mm-hmm. separate those issues. Mm-hmm. If
1: only in academia are, mm-hmm. are certain sections of the population who, who are dealing with this issue or that issue. The tendency is for them to, and then they are funded. What's more, they're funded only to deal with those individual issues. And so the yeah. unity of the poor and the significance of King having to talk in terms of uniting the poor across color lines, particularly involving poor whites, uh, mm-hmm. to bring them into the process raises these bigger questions that shows the inseparability of all these major evils that are confronting us today. And and only in that kind of understanding can you talk in terms of a solution.
0: Yeah, and that's why when King started um, talking against the Vietnam War, he got into so much trouble. Yes. Um,
1: yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, he talked about the thing, if you recall, and this is what's often left out in his, is beyond Vietnam speech. Uh-huh. The first part of his speech was that the reason why he saw this war was very was so important is that it proved to be the enemy of the poor, mm. and that it, proved, it 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 showed that uh, that the poor whites and poor of color who could not unite or kept from uniting in this country could be united in brutal unity in attacking the Vietnamese poor.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: that those were the fundamental reasons that he talked about uh about the uh, his opposition to the to the to, to the vietnam war and the fact that he launched the people's campaign made that more of a threat and yeah. his uh uh his assassination kind of preempted mm-hmm.
3: these,
1: these, these efforts that he was starting in terms of the meeting in atlanta uh into you know atlanta in, in atlanta mm-hmm. georgia and also these other meetings and and the relationship with uh, uh, Miles Harden and all those kinds of things that, that was being brought together under his leadership. But with his assassination, all that was kind of re- misdirected.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so with all this, uh, what is, what's the connection or, or what do you wanna say, what would you like to say to institutions of higher education, you know, colleges, universities, seminaries? Um, I mean, why should, Uh, faculty who teach whatever discipline you know care about any of this right because um, you know we're you know in the ivory tower syndrome Uh, so I mean where is the connection between these grassroots movements Uh, what kind of coalitions and partnerships would you like to see happening
1: I, I defer to you, Colleen, first, and then I'll follow.
3: Yeah. So,
2: I mean, on the for for one, I think that the, you know, as someone that has a degree that qualifies me to, to, to teach in mm-hmm. in one of these places, but yeah. <laughs> you know, there's there's actually not not jobs there, uh, and the yeah. jobs that are there are uh, increasingly not not tenure track. And um, mm-hmm. and then this real crisis of people graduating with the combination of, of heavy debt and right. uh, and not and not being able to find jobs mm-hmm. in the way that mm-hmm. they used to, and those jobs not being secure. Um, that really that you know there will you know that the the economy is is, is not is increasingly not secure for mm-hmm. increasing numbers of people. That's right. And so I think that um, really thinking that you can be in an ivory tower apart from mm-hmm. society as a whole is, is something that uh, is, we're taught not, not to our advantage. Uh, yes. And yeah. so beginning, beginning to be honest about that and, and think about that, I think, is part of it, um, that, that the direction society as a whole is, uh, mm-hmm. is, yes. is rapidly changing. That's and right. Like we're, yes. you know, we're not actually going back to, to the economy of, mm-hmm. of 50 years ago. Yeah, um, and we're not going. We're not going back to low unemployment rates, and that we're actually moving towards, um, you know, automation in in sectors that right now are hard to imagine being automated. Yeah, um, and you know, with the you know the way that the cost of higher education just ratcheting mm-hmm. up higher and higher, that we're going to have you know college is going to be a, possible for fewer and fewer people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so it's actually, you know, the the questions of poverty and the poor is something that's not apart from from the rest of us. That there's there's very few people actually that can afford to to think that this is something they're doing for someone else. Mm-hmm. And not right. something that we're doing for ourselves and for our children.
0: Yeah, that's what the faculty forward yeah. movement and, and the graduate student union organizing okay. are Beautiful. telling us. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I I would also I would you know, just coming out of this, these discussions that I've had in West Virginia with the teacher strike, it, it shows you the inseparability of mm-hmm. the problems of, of that the teachers are confronting and uh, the problems of poverty. That this is yeah. not about poor people over there. It's about the direction of this country. And mm-hmm. the country is continuing in economic crises. And the this, this school system is going into crises. Yeah. And it manifests in, in different ways. We, you know, the book that you referred to, the... Pedagogy of the Poor, we did a book tour of about 30-something states. Mm-hmm. The first stop that we we made was in Ithaca, uh, uh, in Ithaca, New York State, upper state, Outstate, New York.
3: Mm-hmm. And,
1: uh, and we were invited there by a teacher, uh, and we addressed anywhere between 250 to 300 students mm-hmm. about the book and about what it's trying to speak about in terms of these times and so on and so forth. Afterwards, after we talked, uh, we got an ovation, but one of the students stood up, a student looking person, very beautiful, mm-hmm. white young lady, uh, student looking. She said, uh, uh, I really want to thank you guys for what you had to say. I'm definitely going to buy the book. Uh, but I won't, I have to say this. My name is Megan and I graduated from Ithaca college, this college, mm-hmm. uh, magna, cum, magna cum laude. Mm-hmm. And I'm homeless. It's done the whole crowd.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It just done, yeah. you know, and, uh, and the next morning, uh, Alicia, who was the professor that arranged for us to come, mm-hmm. she said three of her students who came to hear us came up to her and say, "Yeah, we're slouch uh, couch surfing. Mm-hmm. We're we're homeless as well." And so this yeah. problem of the yeah. like the student, the population of the students, and even in Columbia, we just heard from in Columbia University, this Ivy mm-hmm. League school, there's a, there's a homeless population among those students. So yeah. this is not something that's about the poor people over there. And yes. this kind of false sense of security of the teachers, of the students, and so mm-hmm. forth and so on Or the idea you get a good education that that's going to guarantee you a good life. Those, those those questions and those developments are being called into question today. Mm-hmm. So the poor people's campaign, if it's going to be successful, it's got to embrace everybody. Yeah, and, and, and it has to embrace every section of society, and it, and the poor. The poor people's campaign cannot be interpreted. It's only about how we're going to help poor people. Yeah. This is how we're going to help. This is how we're going to help ourselves, our family, yeah. our kids, and their yeah. future. This is what this campaign is all about. It's not just about poor people. It's just that poor are the first to be hit. And yeah. if they hit them today, they can hit you tomorrow. We, many of us, only one paycheck or one health care crisis mm-hmm. away from poverty and homelessness. That's that's the way our structure, our society is structured. And the idea that you can have a small percentage of the population, 1%, that can concentrate all the wealth in society and more and more people are becoming homeless, the middle income are becoming impoverished, you know, and increasing segments of the population are becoming totally superfluous. That should Mm -hmm. be something that everybody should be denouncing and have to stand up up against and begin to stand together against. If Mm -hmm. we're gonna move the issue.
0: Yeah, so what I'm hearing is there's a call to uh, educational change that those of us in higher education, it's, it's necessary for us not to teach the same way that we've been teaching, you know, to make our curriculum more inclusive and more um, connected yeah. to these issues.
1: Right. I think, I think the, the call for the day is that we have an engaged intellectualism, an engaged scholarship. An engaged theology.
3: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, the idea of a ivory tower approach to scholarship is is totally un, unuseful yeah. in this in this time, especially yeah. given the urgency of these times. Because the problems are not getting better; they're getting worse. And so, mm-hmm. if we're going to deal with this big problem, we have to have a big solution. But to have a big solution, you have a you have to have an accurate estimate of the problem, mm-hmm. and and that requires education and. I think the teachers with their educational discipline and some of the students with their educational discipline of study and research, that need to be brought into the movement. Yeah. Uh, Because there's no way we're going to outfight this situation unless we outsmart it.
0: Well, thanks both of y'all because the work you're doing is really inspirational for for me and for my students and uh, for our campaign, for the the hourly staff here um, who make poverty wages still. Right. So, um, you know, we're part of it because we're, you know, kind of unfortunately, um, you know, surrounded by it. Uh, Some of our students also. Right. So um, thank you for setting the model and, you know, getting heard on a national level in ways that uh, represent the rest of us. That concludes our conversation with Colleen Wessel McCoy and Willie Baptist of the Cairo Center at Union Theological Seminary. The Nothing Never Happens team includes our audio engineer China Wilson, with assistance from Megan Simmons. Assistant audio engineer is Abigail Cox. Our social media coordinator is Kirsten Schultz, Technical consultant is Emily Gwynn, and our producer emeritus is Calvin Burgamy. Our theme music. The opening theme music is written by Aviva and the Flying Penguins and performed by Aviva and Lance Eric Hagen. Transitional variations of opening thematic melody were recorded, orchestrated, and arranged and performed by Lance Eric Hagen. Other additional music is by Paul Myrie. Thank you for listening.